Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 210, Ludger Janssen, Action and Eternity. When you or I perform an action such as raising our hand or asking a question or going for a walk, there's a before and an after, and probably a during also. In other words, we are in time, and there's a time before we begin to act, there's a time during which we're acting, and there's a time after which we have acted. Now, what about God? On the traditional view, God is timeless. So, how then can God act? God, Christians think, does a lot of important things, such as, perhaps most importantly, creating the heavens and the earth. Can he do that if he's not in time? What does it take to be an actor, to perform an action, to do something? In this talk at the 2017 Conference on God and Time held in Bonn, Germany, Dr. Ludger Janssen gives criteria, that is, conditions that are required for acting, and argues that a timeless God can still meet those criteria. Without further ado then, Dr. Janssen. In a way, I continue there where Natalia stopped and what Ludwig Neidhardt talked about at the end, uh, the action-related arguments yeah, how is action possible for an eternal being? The traditional picture, as you know, is the timeless God. Time is part of creation. God is the creator, so God cannot be a timely being. Yeah, so uh, there is no before in creation in the literal sense. Yeah, it's maybe a causal hierarchy that the uh, uh, leads you to say uh, that God is before creation but not a temporal order. Uh, hence, God is outside of time and in God there is no change. Connected to this traditional picture of God, there uh, are the three measures, uh, as you uh, could say, of duration. Yeah, there's uh, time, which measures uh, changing things and durations of changes. There's sempiternity, changes that go on and on and on uh, without uh, beginning, without end. And uh, finally, eternity, which would be the measure of uh, whatever God is doing. So if you analyze these characterization, you see there are two criteria. The one is, is it beginning or ending, has it uh, borders, and the other is, does it concern change or not? Combinatorically, you get four fields, yeah? Well, this, uh, you could argue, uh, is uh, not uh, uh, possible, this combination, uh, something without change would not uh, be able to point uh, to certain uh, regions where it should begin or end, yeah, so uh, three fields uh, remain and you can uh, name them accordingly with the traditional terms. So uh, this is the field where we uh, 
ourselves are. This is where God is supposed to be. And uh, Aquinas says, uh, well, sempiternity, that would be the way of being of the celestial bodies. Yeah, the planets, the stars, were Aristotle right? Yeah, were Aristotle right? And the world wouldn't have any uh, beginning and uh, the end than uh, the celestial bodies which keep on moving uh, without end and without beginning in the Aristotelian worldview, that would be sempiternal. Well, as Aquinas thinks uh, that uh, Aristotle is not right, that the world has in fact a beginning, Aquinas has a name for that, but uh, he needs to say it's an empty term. Yeah? There's nothing that uh, falls under that term, which is measured by sempiternity. Now, what I'm going to present today is nothing really new. It's uh, something I uh, thought about a long time ago, a sidekick, actually, uh, of my PhD thesis when I was still working on uh, Aristotle's metaphysics. And I have very ambivalent uh, feeling about uh, presenting this stuff now to you who thought uh, much longer and deeper about the problem than I did. But I'm also looking forward to get your feedback, yeah? The feedback on something which has uh, nevertheless not yet been said today, yeah? So um, the traditional argument is uh, based on uh, two premises. Uh, premise one, God is unchanged. Uh, premise two, uh, time requires change. Uh, yeah, and so God cannot be uh, in time. And, well, against this traditional argument that connects the divine property of uh, changeless with the property of timelessness, there is the Swinburne objection, yeah? So Swinburne tells us, well, not time requires change, but only time measurement, yeah? So you can have time without uh, change, but you cannot measure time without change, yeah? And uh, then, of course, you're no longer compelled to hold up the conclusion, the connection between uh, change and time is broken, and yeah, you see um, God's being unchanged is then compatible with his being in time. But we have in well, theological claims of believers, we have a lot of uh, phenomena uh, which faith talks about uh, which involve divine actions. Yeah? Start with creation, creation at the beginning of the world, but also well, God's conservation of the world, the continuous creation, uh, well, uh, continue with the, Christ the Christian dogma of incarnation, with uh, the belief in divine interventions in the world, uh, revelation, miracles, and Speaking about the end of uh, all, yeah, the uh, last judgment, uh, and uh, possibly after that, salvation. All uh, these are well, action terms. Yeah, so we have a lot of divine actions, and the question is, of course, is it possible to believe in an acting God and an eternal God at the same time? Then, uh, of course, we need to know what the criteria we need for an action. So what do we need for an action? Um, okay? and, then, and we need to check whether these criteria 
are fulfilled or fulfillable for an uh, eternal being. Consider uh, arm lifting. Yeah? So I, I can lift my arm, and in normal cases where we say, oh, this is an action, yeah? I control my arm lifting, and I do it directly. These are the normal ways of arm lifting. Yeah, but uh, of course, I could also uh, have a tick, yeah, some quick and, uh, well, without thinking about it and without intending it, uh, suddenly I lift my arm. Uh, I don't want it, I just do it. Now, this is not what we would call an action. Uh, so action seems to require some uh, version of control and also, uh, of course, if uh, and the mad scientist with his remote control activates this brain implantate that I have and uh, let me uh, move my arm. Well, that would, of course, uh, uh, be controlled by someone, but not by me. So it's not my uh, control, it's not my action, it's not my intention. Action is on this side, yeah, on the side of uh, the intended things, um, and it does not necessarily uh, require direct control. I could also uh, connect a rope with my arm and uh, then uh, use the rope to lift my arm. That would be an indirect uh, action. Yeah, So I would use the rope and the rope uh, would pull my arm uh, and lift it. Yeah, So ah, that's a very unusual way uh, to lift the arm, but nevertheless, it would be a way of uh, uh, intended uh, arm lifting via indirect control. So, what do we need for action? Yeah. So we need something controlled by the agent. Yeah. That is uh, necessary. We uh, could say, but it's not sufficient. Animals also control uh, their movements. Yeah. They control whether they eat this stuff or not. Machines control whatever activity uh, they are supposed uh, to perform. Uh, so we have a necessary but not a sufficient criteria. And then um, we want to have that action uh, to be something intended. Yeah, it, that of course presupposes that uh, we can express whatever we are doing in a language. Uh, propositional language, because to intend something is also always to intend something, and then we, no, I intend that, uh, or I intend to, and then I have to fill in some uh, uh, description of uh, the activity I, I do intend, or the state of affairs I want uh, to realize. Yeah. So uh, we need some linguistic expressibility here. Yeah. Yeah. Intended actions are often reasoned, but not always. So that is a typical feature of typical actions, but they are also automatic and re um, uh, reflective actions. So well, typical uh, uh, feature, but not a necessary one. Also, typical actions are often conscious. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you could also talk about subconscious or unconscious actions. So that's also not necessary. Yeah? Um, actions are often bodily movements, 
Yeah, but that also is a rather a typical feature than a necessary one. You can talk about mental acts, yeah, you can uh, maybe also have uh, social uh, acts that are not um, specially located, yeah, juridical uh, acts that are like the expiring of a contract, uh, yeah. letting a contract uh, expire. Where does that happen? Is that a bodily movement? No, 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 it's not. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, finally, actions are uh, often done for the sake of a certain goal, yeah, that's connected with the intentionality. I do not uh, only uh, uh, intentionally move my arm, but typically I do that for a certain goal. Maybe I want to reach uh, the ceiling or uh, I want to say another beer, please, uh, whatever, <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, that's also a Typical rather than a necessary feature for some actions are done for their own sake. Yeah, we just want to move the, the arm uh, probably, uh, possibly in some situations uh, because that's just nice, huh? not uh, in order to uh, realize some distinct state of effects. <laughs> We have then a certain structure of uh, action and action intention. So, some agent intends to do some action, yeah, to H, yes, in order to induce a certain result R. So, and then we have two elements. We have a pro attitude regarding aging, yeah? and possibly, yeah, if you have also this uh, telic uh, element. Yeah, we have a belief that uh, aging is uh, instrumental for R. Okay, so taking stock on uh, this little uh, action-theoretical uh, excursus, so we don't need bodily movement, that makes it easier for God huh, to act. We do need an agent, so we are still uh, to show that uh, God can be an agent, that he be an acting person, and that he can have intentions. Yeah? No action without an intention. Okay, uh, I think I can go uh, quickly over this Boethius stuff because others uh, talked about that before. Yeah, if you have Boethius uh, characterization of eternity yeah, as interminabilis vitae tota simul et perfecta possessio, yeah, and then the everything simultaneous bit if we understand that in the naive way that eternity is simultaneously with every uh, event out there in space-time, yeah, then of course we get this uh, uh, contradiction that then uh, all the events in space-time need to be uh, uh, simultaneous. But I don't think that this is uh, what Ethius intended, yeah, that he doesn't want to say that every events uh, are uh, simultaneous, but I will come back to this later. First, another uh, problem, uh, another 
objection for the uh, action in eternity view. Well, one, one for many, uh, Peter Roos, my PhD supervisor, by uh, the way, yeah, in his old book on the philosophy of religion, he very much stresses the personality of God because God needs to be a judge in the last judgment and he needs to know about our, our souls and our intentions and he needs to be a person and he uh, uh, those things that, well, personality, intentions, actions, suppose time and uh, we suppose uh, um, egocentricity, yeah, uh, agent person needs to be able to say I or uh, in uh, which language uh, that doesn't matter yeah God need does not need to be an Englishman but he needs to be able to refer to himself as himself and um, also he needs to be able to uh, think about a now a presence so this is the rose objection and he says that's only possible in time now, first, the answer to the simultaneity uh, objection. Well, I don't think that uh, everything simultaneous uh, uh, means that all the events need to be uh, simultaneous with uh, eternity, yeah? but all of God's actions, yeah? all of God's, God's actions uh, should be simultaneously, uh, and that is also not uh, an original uh, interpretation of uh, the passage. Um, I'm there in good company. But if we take this interpretation of Boethius, then uh, we uh, can formulate one criterion for uh, the acts of God, the mental acts, because the other criterion would be a divine act couldn't be a bodily movement, because God doesn't have a body. Yeah? So uh, first criterion is only mental uh, acts, and then only mental acts that do not involve bodily states. Yeah? We uh, humans have a lot of mental acts that do involve uh, bodily states. Yeah? A sensual uh, perception requires certain states of our sensual organs. Yeah? My, my, my ear, uh, my eyes, my nose needs to be in certain states in order for me to hear, to smell, uh, to see. Yeah? Uh, so. Um, we cannot ascribe these things to God because of his incorporality. And the other thing uh, which is uh, so triggered by the Boethius uh, characterization of eternity is the non-sequentiality uh, criterion. So mental acts that involve a succession cannot be ascribed to God. So internally to hum a melody, for example, melody is a, a, a succession of uh, various uh, sounds, so that we cannot uh, ascribe to God. Yeah? So imagine a harmonious sounds, well, all of the sounds at the same time, well, there's no uh, succession uh, of sounds uh, that might be a possible state of a divine mind.
if we turn to the Stump Kratzman article that Natalia also already discussed in detail, I refer to this passage. Knowing seems to be the paradigm case of a, a mental activity that fulfills these uh, criteria. Learning, reasoning, inferring take time as knowing does not. In reply to the question, what have you been doing for the past two hours? It makes sense to say studying logic or pro proving theorems, but not knowing logic. Similarly, it makes sense to say I'm learning logic, but not I'm knowing logic. And knowing is not the only mental activity requiring neither a temporal interval nor a temporal viewpoint. Willing, for example, unlike wishing or desiring, seems to be another. So if you, you look at the passage, uh, then there are in fact two criteria that uh, are, are used to test whether uh, a certain activity could be ascribed to the divine mind. And the, this is, uh, the one is the time span criterion, and the other is the progressive criterion. The time span criterion says, event lacked V is non-sequential if it makes no sense to answer the question, what have you done during the last two hours by saying why? And the progressive criterion says, a mental act, why is non-sequential if you cannot meaningful say, I am, why? Yeah. So the, the, the idea behind uh, these uh, criteria is, of course, yeah, these are formulated using uh, object lang uh, language sentences from the English language. So you take one uh, informed um, speaker of that language and then the, well, you expect uh, some yes or no uh, answer. Uh, but can I meaningful say that? Ooh, yes, Ooh, no, yeah. Uh, this is, uh, these are uh, so-called behavioral tests, yeah, and you could use them uh, not only in uh, analytic theology, but also uh, normally they come from linguistics and linguisticians test the uh, linguistic intuitions of uh, native speakers. Now, if you look at these uh, criteria, then uh, especially at the progressive criterion, yeah, a mental act V is non-sequential if you cannot meaningful say I'm wing, then uh, at least for me, uh, there is a certain historical parallel in Aristotle's distinction between uh, kinesis and energia in uh, his Metaphysics, Book 9, Chapter 6. And there Aristotle uh, discusses certain verbs and uh, he says things like, well, we can say I'm seeing and I have seen at the same time, I'm living well and I have lived well at the same time, it's not true that I'm walking and I have walked and I'm drying and I have dried. So there are two classes well, of verbs. Well, that's uh, stuff the linguisticians then uh, continued to discuss and distinguish several verb classes uh, or well, activities, events, processes, yeah? different types of uh, happenings in the world. And then, of course, it's the question, how 
to distinguish between these two types of activities. Again, no? Aristotle uses linguistic means to draw this distinction. Yeah, he has uh, this uh, uh, contrast. I am seeing and I have seen, uh, but not I'm walking and I have walked. So he, he uses, well, in, in the English translation, uh, the English uh, Aristotle uses uh, present progressive and uh, simple past. So he contrasts different verb aspects. Yeah, so uh, imperfective aspect and perfected aspect. And, well, there's one influential uh, interpretation in uh, the, well, the end, uh, second half of the 20th century, uh, what you can uh, could, uh, dub the historic reading of this uh, uh, contrast of verb aspects, this, which does not uh, really, which in a way does uh, take uh, serious that these are aspects, but uh, it's a very uh, a formal uh, rendering of this contrast. So the historic reading says, if you have some token of an event type just happening, then check whether there is a completed token of that event type in the past. Yeah? And if there is a completed token of that event type in the past, then it would be correct to say, oh, well, I'm, I am about to find, I'm fine, yeah? and I have been fine in the past then it would be well, an energia uh, uh, happening. Uh, and uh, if that is not the case, if there's no completed uh, event of that type in the past, then it is a kinesis uh, happening. Now, there are two prices to pay for this uh, interpretation. The first one is, well, this presupposes not only a continuous time order, uh, that wouldn't be too high a price to pay for an interpretation of Aristotle because Aristotle believes in continuity of time. Yeah, but very, very technically, you can also say, well, it presupposes that your time intervals are left open time intervals. Yeah? It mustn't have a closed uh, interval uh, boundary um, on the past-oriented uh, uh, side of the interval, yeah, because then you would have a first moment in time, and at that first moment in time of that event, yeah, there is no, no, not at least not necessarily any closed uh, uh, interval uh, of uh, an instance of the same event type in the past, yeah, only when you don't have a first point of time, then you necessarily have with the Inagaya uh, event type a completed instance in the past. And that is uh, probably the most uh, difficult bit of this interpretation. Well, you get prop into problems with walking. Well, walking is a motion in space. Yeah? Motion in space is a paradigm of change, of movement, of kinesis. Yeah, so uh, walking absolutely, but walking absolutely said, well, if you have continuity in time and continuity in space, yeah, always when, once you are moving, well, you already have moved before, 
Yeah, if, if you have the left open intervals, if you have no first uh, moment of movement, uh, if movement always requires some uh, extended interval uh, where you move around, well, then you always have a shorter interval that is already lying in the past. So, according to this historic reading of the aspect uh, contrast, well, walking would be an anagaya and not a kinesis, as Aristotle says. Yeah? So that is the reason why there exists in the literature an article on Aristotle on walking. Yeah? It's not uh, because uh, Aristotle has an interest in walking theory, but because walking is a problem for that reading. Yeah? But uh, if, if you look at the uh, grammar of uh, Greek aspects, then um, the perfective aspect need not refer to a completed instance of uh, some event in the past. Yeah, it's a peculiar feature of the Greek uh, perfect uh, that uh, it could refer to something that is present, yeah, to a present realization of an event. Yeah, so if see something, of course, yeah, well, I I already have that visual form in my mind. There's nothing more to come. Ah, expect when you're looking a movie. Yeah, so watching a movie, that's a, again a, a problem, but uh, well, Aristotle didn't know about movies. So in uh, seeing something uh, only spatially and not temporally extended, yeah, you have the result uh, that you need, uh, the intrinsic <coughs> goal of seeing present as soon as you see, and the same is true for living good, for thinking, and so on. So, um, we could say, yes, yeah, this is uh, Inagaya uh, events that can all, uh, these can also happen in uh, eternity, yeah, only the Kinesis events, uh, these cannot happen in eternity because these are the change events. If you look at our checklist for an uh, acting eternal god, uh, he needs to be bodiless. Okay, we can tick this. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I didn't argue for that, but uh, uh, this is something uh, which is uh, part and parcel of the traditional picture. Um, well, he needs to say I, uh, be able to say I, that is to have a self rep representation. Well, that is possible for an unchanging uh, temporal god, um, yeah, in the same way uh, as for an eternal god, because well, it always has uh, the same uh, reference. So, if an unchanging temporal god can have a self-representation, an eternal god can do so also. Well, that checkbox he, uh, a, b, a, being able to say now, yeah. That is to have a representation for your uh, present. Um, well, 
Yes, uh, I would say, yes, that's also an Enakia thing, but it does, of course, yeah, God's now does, of course, not refer to uh, the changing moments in time uh, where your clock uh, tells you, well, now it's five o'clock, now it's six o'clock. For God, it wouldn't be a, a, a good uh, thing to say, oh, now it's five o'clock, and now it's six o'clock. No, 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 for eternal God, uh, well, his whole eternity is his now, um, which also, uh, of course, requires uh, uh, some twists and tweaks when it comes to talk about the relation of eternity uh, to the uh, periods in uh, time. Next point, uh, the acting eternal God needs to have doxastic intentions, yeah, knowledge uh, for, uh, about several things. Yes, we have already seen that is a non-sequential thing, that's an energia thing, so he can do that. And he needs to have voluntaristic intention, that's also possible because uh, will uh, is non-sequential. And finally, action. Yeah, well, action is possible if it's action of an Enagaya type. Yeah, it's not possible if it involves uh, Kinesis type events, but it's possible if it's Enagaya type. And then Kinesis type events can always be uh, an effect uh, of that. Okay. Um, uh, a question to this uh, slide. Can you yeah. Is it right um, in the third line possible even for an unchanging temporal god, or would you say art? Um, no, 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 no. The idea is uh, unchanging temporal god can say okay. something. Uh, yeah, can have a self-representation, and uh, so uh, can uh, an eternal god. Yeah, because it's always the same reference. There is no no additional complication when you switch from the unchanging temporal god to the eternal god. Yeah, so uh, that's it. Uh, we ticked all boxes, problem solved. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.